we need to battle darkness with light. No matter how dark the world is, we need to think of light. A little bit of light pushes away a lot of darkness. A lot of light will push away much more. Welcome back to episode five, reliving and sharing with you the journey of surviving the mass shooting at America's second synagogue mass shooting in all history that happened on April 27, 2019, Saturday morning, the last day of Passover. In episode four, I shared with you the events that led up between the shooting and my arrival at the hospital and discovering the horrendous, terrible news of the loss of Lori Lynn Gilbert K. May her soul rest in peace. I wake up from surgery in recovery room with both of my hands bandaged and in, in blue fluorescent color which eventually became the icon of, of my injuries for the next six months. That's all my hands looked like was with the fluorescent blue cover. After I recovered from the anesthesia, I was brought into a private room. When I arrived in the private room, I opened my eyes and I was shocked to see Rabbi Moshe Kutlarski. He is the vice president of the Chabad movement. Rabbi Moshe Kutlarski met with me just three days before he came to visit at the synagogue. And we had a beautiful meeting sharing ideas with each other. As he spent the last days of Passover with his daughter and son-in-law at the Chabad of Oceanside. When he heard of the shooting, he came to the hospital. He was one of the first to be there. And to have this giant of a person, Rabbi Moshe Katlarski, standing at my bedside when I wake up from the surgery, I look at him. And I go like this with both of my hands. I say, Rabbi Meisha, where do we go from here? What do I tell the world? And Rabbi Moshe told me, your job now is to spread light in the world. From darkness to light. And from that moment on, I remembered the line that our Chabad Rebbe, my Rebbe, has taught us. If a little bit of light pushes away a lot of darkness, how much more, more light. That became my tagline. To realize that there was a momentarily darkness, but the light is going to push that darkness away. And then all of a sudden, from behind my bed, my youngest brother, Zalman, makes an appearance. He lives in New York. 
How did he get here? He spent the last days of Passover with my sister in Los Angeles. As soon as he heard of the shooting, he drove down as fast as he can to be there at my bedside. And he hasn't left my bedside or hasn't left me alone for the next several months. He became my mouthpiece, my representative, my agent. He really orchestrated everything that has transpired from the moment of me waking up from surgery through my full recovery. Dr. Ken Tressman, who works at that hospital, arrived and recited the Havdalah prayers, which is the prayers that we recite after, after a holiday. And then my family arrived. One can only imagine what kind of reunion that was to be able to see each other during this horrific time. I remember when I was standing on the chair when I saw my wife, my eldest son and youngest daughter when they were told that the coast is clear as they were approaching the synagogue and they saw me, they had no idea who survived, who did not. When they looked at me, I told them I'm okay. I just lost a couple fingers, but I'm okay. You could just see their, their pale, ash look, ashen look faces. They did not know who survived, who did not. My youngest daughter just got married two weeks before. The look on her face, not knowing if her husband survived this or not, or any of her brothers. Who could have imagined in 2019 we have to deal with this? It was like a page out of the Holocaust days. And here we are on April 27, 2019 dealing with a terrorist attack on the shores of America, right at our doorstep. The sigh of relief to know that our immediate family was spared. Everyone else in the congregation was spared, but we lost our dear friend Lori. Lori was so close to our family. She was so close to my wife and to all of us. She was close to everybody. She came just before the holidays, last two days, and delivered a beautiful bouquet of yellow flowers to my wife. That was Lori, with a beautiful card. Seeing my family at my bedside, and seeing Rabbi Kotlarski, my, my brother, it was the beginning of the recovery. The surgeons came to talk to me and explained to me that, you know, they couldn't save the right finger and the left finger. They're going to do whatever they can. It's going to take multiple surgeries to see if they could save it. I was just happy to be alive. But Dr. Patel told me one of the blessings was that only your hands were injured. The rest of your body is okay. 
which means you can go home tomorrow morning. I spent that night reliving the experiences. I was still in shock and realizing what I'm going to have to deal with moving forward. What I'm going to, how I'm going to deal with the loss of Lori. How am I going to deal with my congregation that was so traumatized and attacked? And more importantly, I survived the terrorist attack. I'm a survivor that could talk. A few years earlier, there was a terrible terrorist attack at another Chabad center in Mumbai, India. And the rabbi and his wife were slaughtered together with others. And there was no voice of a survivor who can talk about that attack. And I realized that I have survived. So I must be a voice to be able to share with the world what just happened and to bring a message to the world and to bear my heart and soul to the world and to take this opportunity that God has given me to spare my life, to be able to inspire others and to do whatever I can to lift up the spirits of my congregation, my family members and the Jewish world. The news has spread wildly at the moment this happened. My brother and family were in Israel. As soon as they heard the news, the first person they called was to Lori. They wanted to know what happened, who, who was hurt because there were such conflicting words. They said the rabbi was shot. So my, my, my sibling and their children in Israel thought that I was the one who was killed. And they called Lori and there was no answer. So they did not know that it was Lori that was killed, not myself. In Brooklyn, New York, in Chabad headquarters, where thousands of my colleagues were celebrating the last two days, the last day of Passover, News spread there that there was a terrorist attack at Chabad Poway. The whole world was put on alert. It made all headlines of all the networks of this horrific, terrible terrorist attack. And these days with social media, the news spread throughout the whole world. The Jewish world was under attack. It wasn't me. It wasn't just Lori. It wasn't just our synagogue. It was the Jewish nation was attacked today. A idyllic, beautiful holiday of Passover ended up in bloodshed. Ended up with such pain and suffering. It reverberated throughout the whole Jewish world and the non-Jewish world. One can only imagine how America was shaken by this terrible news and how the rest of the world was shaken by this horrific attack on innocent parishioners who the only sin that they did is they came to the synagogue to pray because they were Jewish. The shooter came to kill us 
for only one reason, because we were Jewish. Who would have imagined in the 21st century that we're going to have to deal with that? So I spent the night, couldn't sleep, just thinking to myself, God spared me and I survived for a purpose and a reason. And I'm going to give 100% of myself to wherever it's needed to share the message and to take the sadness, to take all this negative energy and turn it into something positive. That was my initial thought. That was my plan. How I was going to do that, I don't know. But I knew that my mission is to take a little bit of light and push away the darkness and to utilize my survival, not about me, but about a message, a message that the world needs to hear, a message that the world is going to hear what it means to survive from a mass shooting and to come out standing tall and standing with a message that needs to be said, that needs to be heard, that will hopefully bring a change to the world for now and forever. At the time, I did not realize that someone recorded a message when I was still in, in surgical scrubs in the gown that they put me on and uh, and those were words just came out of my mouth partially still with the anesthesia but it, it just came out a natural reflex of what would I as a rabbi who grew up with my Rebbe what would I say what would he want me to say what would come out of my mouth? And there's nothing, I didn't have the capacity to process what to say. I just, it just came out naturally. And that was the beginning of setting the foundation of recovery, of helping a congregation to recover from a mass shooting and helping the world. Because I knew that I'm going to end up on the world stage and I am going to be given the responsibility to represent our congregation, to represent our community, Lori Kay. And this is going to be the face that the world is going to see, that I am going to have to turn this event from darkness to light, from a curse to a blessing. And that's when I pray to God, give me the words, give me the wisdom, Give me the knowledge so that I can deliver and give a message to the world that will make a difference, that will touch the world and have a chance of turning this tragedy, turning this darkness to a greater and a bigger light. That began Sunday morning, the next morning, when I came home. And I was able to get dressed, do my morning prayers. When my brother tells me, one o'clock, there's going to be a press conference. And they are expecting me to come and be at the press conference. And to talk to all the TV networks. I had no script. 
I had no coach. I had no manager. I had no one to tell me what to say. I didn't know what to say. One thing I did know is that I am a survivor. My emotions are raw. Organically, I'm going to share with the world what my soul wants me to say. Prior to the press conference, my doorbell rings and Lori's husband, Howard, is at the door. I just couldn't handle it anymore. Here is Howard. Howard is a brother to me. Howard was an uncle to my kids. Howard spent every single Saturday afternoon after services came with me to my house to eat together, to drink together. Almost every holiday meal we were together. He's part of our extended family. His loss was our loss. I went outside to greet him in the patio. He gave such a shriek of anguish of pain. I hugged him so tight, like I would hug a brother. What do you say to someone who not only his wife was murdered, but he went to try to resuscitate her? He was there. No words. I just hugged him. I gave him such a kiss of love and encouragement and compassion. I came back in the house and got ready to go down to the press conference. I go down to the press conference, amazed to see how many people were there besides all the TV networks to see members of the congregation, friends, close friends, friends that I have known over decades that I have been there, are standing there. I approach the podium with all the microphones, all the cameras at me. Both of my hands were bandaged in this fluorescent blue bandages. And I just spoke the words as if God is talking through me. That's what I asked him to do. And the Rebbe would say, we all need to teach everyone, no matter what religion you're from, we need to do random acts of kindness. We need to tilt the scale. There's so much darkness now in the world, but you and I have the ability to change. We need to perhaps consider reintroducing in our public school system a moment of silence where children can start the day with pausing and thinking, why am I created, why am I here, and what am I going to do? This Friday night, this Saturday, go to your synagogue. We need to fill up those rooms. We need to show them that terrorism, evil, will never prevail. Let's fill up the synagogues. Let's stand tall. And I explained what happened here 24 hours ago was a moment of darkness, but a little bit of light pushes away a lot of darkness. So what we need to do moving forward is to create more light in the world. 
is to elevate Lori's soul to higher levels. To take the loss of Lori, the tragic slaughtering and killing of this beautiful soul, and use that negative darkness, transform it in actions of light. And I encouraged everyone to begin taking upon themselves to do a positive act, whether it's random acts of kindness, for all the women to begin lighting Shabbat candles Friday night, for everyone to pack their synagogues this coming Saturday. That is the antidote. This terrorist tried to scare us, to frighten us, to keep us away from synagogue. Let's transform that. Let's get everyone to synagogue. And I pleaded with everyone, make plans that this coming Saturday, everyone finds themselves in their prospective synagogue. I appeal to the whole world, to all the TV networks. This is how we deal with a mass shooting. This is how we deal with a terrorist attack. We deal with darkness, with light, and a great big light. That was my message. My mind was still totally traumatized. I couldn't think straight. Everything that was coming out of my mouth was just organically from my soul. Pure words from my heart, from my soul. Whatever my soul needed me to say, I said, hoping, humbly, if God chose me to survive this shooting, he must have chose me for a reason. God, please allow me to deliver the message that you need me to deliver. After the conference, I made my way through the crowd, getting hugs from everybody, total strangers, closest of members, and I made my way back home. In episode six, I'm going to share with you the most incredible phone calls I received, the messages I received, and how this story traveled in all the major networks who ended up at our home to interview me with some incredible conversations. I also want to share with you what happened the next day, Monday, at Lori's funeral and memorial service. Please subscribe to this channel so that you can be notified when episode 6 will be ready for presentation. Thank you for traveling with me through this terrible event from darkness to light. God bless you. God loves you.